and you and Katie never had a thing before. I hope it's a nice one." Study hour seemed unusually long that night. The minute it was over the sisters ran to number two. There stood the boxes, a big wooden one with all the nails taken out of the lid, and a small paper one, carefully tied up and sealed. It was almost more than the girls could do to obey orders and not peep. "'I feel something hard,' announced Clover, inserting a finger-top under the lid. "'Oh, do you?' cried Katie. Then, making a heroic effort, she dumped into the bed. "'It's the only way,' she said. "'You'd better come too, Clovy. Blow the candle out and let's get to sleep as fast as we can so as to make morning come quicker.' Katie dreamed of home that night. Perhaps it was that which made her wake so early. It was not five o'clock, and the room was perfectly dark. She did not like to disturb Clover, so she lay perfectly still for hours, as it seemed, till a faint gray dawn crept in and revealed the outlines of the big box standing by the window. Then she could wait no longer, but crept out of bed, crossed the floor on tiptoe, and raising the little little put in her hand. Something crumbly and sugary met it, and when she drew it out, there, fitting on her finger like a ring, was a round cake with a hole in the middle of it. "'Oh, it's one of Debbie's jumbles!' she exclaimed. "'Where? What are you doing? Give me one, too!' cried Clover, starting up. Katie rummaged till she found another, then, half-frozen, she ran back to bed, and the two lay nibbling the jumbles and talking about home, till dawn deepened into daylight and morning was fairly come. Breakfast was half an hour later than usual, which was comfortable. As soon as it was over, the girls proceeded to unpack their box. The day was so cold that they wrapped themselves in shawls, and Clover put on a hood and thick gloves. Rose Red, passing the door, burst out laughing, and recommended that she should add india-rubbers and an umbrella. "'Come in!' cried the sisters. "'Come in and help us open our box.' "'Oh, by the way, you have a box, haven't you?' said Rose, who was perfectly aware of the important fact, and had presented herself with the hope of being asked to look on. "'Thank you. But perhaps I would better come some other time. I shall be in your way.' "'You humbug!' said Clover, while Katie seized Rose and pulled her into the room. "'There, sit on the bed, you ridiculous goose, and put on my grey cloak. How can you be so absurd as to say you won't? You know we want you, and you know you came on purpose.' "'Did I?' "'Well, perhaps I did,' laughed Rose. Then Katie lifted off the lid and set it against the door. It was an exciting moment. "'Just look here!' cried Katie. The top of the box was mostly taken up with four square paper boxes, round which parcels of all shapes and sizes were wedged and fitted. The whole was a miracle of packing. It had taken Miss Finch three mornings with assistance from old Mary and much advice from Elsie to do it so beautifully. Each box held a different kind of cake. One was of jumbles, another of ginger-snaps, a third of crullers, and the fourth contained a big square loaf of frosted plum-cake, with a circle of sugar-almonds set in the frosting. How the trio exclaimed at this! "'I never imagined anything so nice,' declared Rose, with her mouth full of jumble. "'As for those snaps, they're simply perfect. What can be in all those fascinating bundles? Do hurry and open one, Katie.' "'Dear little Elsie, the first two bundles opened were hers.' A white hood for Katie, and a blue one for Clover, both of her own knitting and so nicely done. The girls were enchanted. "'How she has improved!' said Katie. "'She knits better than either of us, Clover.' "'There never was such a clever little darling,' responded Clover, and they patted the hoods, tried them on before the glass, and spent so much time in admiring them that Rose grew impatient. "'I declare,' she cried, "'it isn't any of my funeral, I know, but if you don't open another parcel soon I shall certainly fault you myself.' It seems as if, what with cold and curiosity, I couldn't wait." "'Very well,' said Katie, laying aside her hood, with one final glance. "'Take out a bundle, Clover. It's your turn.' Clover's bundle was for herself, Evangeline in blue and gold, and pretty soon Golden Legend in the same binding appeared for Katie. Both these were from Dory. 
Next came a couple of round packages of exactly the same size. These proved to be inkstands covered with Russian leather, one marked Katie from Johnny, and the other Clover from Phil. It was evident that the children had done their shopping together, for presently two long narrow parcels revealed the carved pen-handles precisely alike, and these were labelled Katie from Phil and Clover from Johnny. What fun it was opening those bundles! The girls made a long business of it, taking out but one at a time, exclaiming, admiring, and exhibiting to Rose, before they began upon another. They laughed, they joked, but I do not think it would have taken much to make either of them cry. It was almost too tender a pleasure, these proofs of loving remembrance from the little ones, and each separate article seemed full of the very look and feel of home. "'What can this be?' said Katie, as she unrolled a paper, and disclosed a pretty round box. She opened. Nothing was visible but pink cotton wool. Katie peeped beneath and gave a cry. "'Oh, Clovy, such a lovely thing! It's from Papa. Of course it's from Papa. How could he? It's a great deal too pretty.' The lovely thing was a long, slender chain for Katie's watch, worked in fine yellow gold. Clover admired it extremely, and her joy knew no bounds when further search revealed another box with a precisely similar chain for herself. It was too much. The girls fairly cried with pleasure. "'There never was such a papa in the world,' they said. "'Yes, there is. Mine is just as good,' declared Rose, twinkling away a little teardrop from her own eyes. "'Now don't cry, honeys. Your papa's an angel, there's no doubt about it. I never saw such pretty chains in my life, never. As for the children, they're little ducks. You certainly are a wonderful family. Katie, I'm dying to know what is in the blue parcel." The blue parcel was from Cece, and contained a pretty blue ribbon for Clover. There was a pink one also, with a pink ribbon for Katie. Everybody had thought of the girls. Old Mary had sent them each a yard measure, Miss Finch a thread-case stocked with differently coloured cottons. Alexander had cracked a bag full of hickory-nuts. "'Did you ever?' said Rose, when this last was produced. "'What a thing it is to be popular!' "'Mrs. Hall! Who is Mrs. Hall?' as Clover unwrapped a tiny carved easel. "'She's Cece's mother,' explained Clover. "'Wasn't she kind to send me this, Katie? And here's Cece's photograph in a little frame for you.' Never was such a wonderful box. It appeared to have no bottom whatever. Under the presents were parcels of figs, prunes, almonds, raisins, candy. Under those, apples and pears. There seemed no end to the surprises. At last all were out. "'Now,' said Katie, "'let's throw back the apples and pears, and then I want you to help divide the other things and make some packages for the girls. They're all disappointed not to have their boxes. I should like to have them share ours. Wouldn't you, Clover?' "'Yes, indeed. I was just going to propose it.' So Clover cut twenty-nine squares of white paper, Rose and Katie sorted and divided, and pretty soon ginger-snaps and almonds and sugar-plums were walking down all the entries, and a gladsome crunching showed that the girls had found pleasant enjoyment. None of the snowed-up boxes got through till Monday, so except for Katie and Clover the school would have had no Christmas treat at all. They carried Mrs. Nipson a large slice of cake and a basket full of the beautiful red apples. All the teachers were remembered, and the servants. The SSUC was convened and feasted, and as for Rose, Louisa, and other special cronies, dainties were heaped upon them with such unsparing hand that they finally remonstrated. "'You're giving everything away. You'll have nothing left for yourselves.' "'Yes, we shall. Plenty,' said Clover. "'Oh, Rosie, here's such a splendid pair. You must have this.' "'No, no,' protested Rose. But Clover forced it into her pocket." The car's box was always quoted in the nunnery afterward, as an example of what papas and mammas could accomplish when they were of the right sort, and really wanted to make schoolgirls happy. Distributing their treasures kept Katie and Clover so busy that it was not until after dinner that they found time to open the smaller box. When they did so, they were sorry for the delay. The box was full of flowers—roses, geranium leaves, heliotrope, 
beautiful red and white carnations, all so bedded in cotton that the frost had not touched them. But they looked chilled, and Katie hastened to put them in warm water, which she had been told was the best way to revive drooping flowers. Cousin Helen had sent them, and underneath, sewed to the box that they might not shake about and do mischief, were two flat parcels wrapped in tissue paper and tied with white ribbon in Cousin Helen's dainty way. They were glove-cases of quilted silk, delicately scented, one white and one lilac, and to each was pinned a loving note wishing the girls a Merry Christmas. "'How awfully good people are,' said Clover. "'I do think we ought to be the best girls in the world.' Last of all, Katie made a choice little selection from her stores—a splendid apple, a couple of fine pears, and a handful of raisins and figs. And with a few of the freshest flowers in a wine-glass, she went down the row and tapped at Miss Jane's door. Miss Jane was sitting up for the first time, wrapped in a shawl, and looking very thin and pale. Katie, who had almost ceased to be afraid of her, went in cheerily. "'We've had a delicious box from home, Miss Jane, full of all sorts of things. It has been such fun unpacking it. I've brought you an apple, some pears, and this little bunch of flowers. Wasn't it a nice Christmas for us?' "'Yes,' said Miss Jane. "'Very nice indeed. I heard someone say in the entry that you had a box.' "'Thank you,' as Katie set the basket and glass on the table. "'Those flowers are very sweet. I wish you a Merry Christmas, I'm sure.' This was much for Miss Jane, who couldn't help speaking shortly, even when she was pleased. Katie withdrew in high glee. But that night, just before bedtime, something happened so surprising that Katie, telling Clover of it afterward, said she half fancied that she must have dreamed it all. It was about eight o'clock in the evening. She was passing down Quaker Row, and Miss Jane called and asked her to come in. Miss Jane's cheeks were flushed, and she spoke fast, as if she had resolved to say something and thought the sooner it was over the better. "'Miss Carr,' she began, "'I wish to tell you that I made up my mind some time since that we did you an injustice last term. It is not your attentions to me during my illness which have changed my opinion. That was done before I fell ill. It is your general conduct and the good influence which I have seen you exert over other girls which convince me that we must have been wrong about you.' That is all. I thought you might like to hear me say this, and I shall say the same to Mrs. Nipson." "'Thank you,' said Katie. "'You don't know how glad I am.' She half thought she would kiss Miss Jane, but somehow it didn't seem possible, so she shook hands very heartily instead, and flew to her room, feeling as if her feet were wings. "'It seems too good to be true. I want to cry I'm so happy,' she told Clover. "'What a lovely day this has been.' And of all she had received, I think Katie considered this explanation with Miss Jane as her very best Christmas box. End of chapter 11